Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Nick and Bush coming at you with another Black Monday episode, our third and final installment of our, our Strength of Schedule series, quarterbacks and tight ends on the docket today. If at any point during this video you feel like you got some value, make sure you guys hit the like button, subscribe down, uh, down below, hit the bell notification, and make sure that you comment on the video. It helps us out more than you think. Uh, without further ado, let's get into the first guy we're talking about today. We're going to start with the top three easiest quarterback schedules uh, based on uh, Sharp Football Stats has a bunch of different metrics, a great site. I really encourage you to check it out. Um, our first guy on the uh, docket today, actually, first, how you doing, Nick? Forgot to get Good. in. Good. Yeah. Good, man. Dude, I'm excited like you are to talk about uh, the, the Browns, which we will be getting to. But yeah, dude, I'm good. Uh, looking forward to uh, another week of talking football. Yeah. So Baker Mayfield's the first guy we're going to talk about. And there's going to be some overlap with the quarterbacks and receiver episode because, I mean, like the past defense efficiencies affect both positions. So um, on the screen right now, you're going to see Baker Mayfield's opening schedule. And it's the same schedule you would have seen for Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Um, but it, I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like, it, it's just the AFC North teams that they got to play throughout the whole season. It's just the Steelers and Ravens that are really going to give them fits. And uh, divisional matchups are always random, too. And the, the Eagles are the only other, like, uh, red matchup, meaning that they're, like, less than uh, ideal. But even uh, the, the matchups that he has to play against the AFC North teams, they have good offenses, so they should force him to throw the ball at least. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to kind of just seeing this different Browns with the Stefanski hire in general. Like last year, I was kind of looking at a bunch of uh, Warren Sharp stuff, and he was showing back at 2018 kind of what they were doing with Hugh Jackson and then when Freddie Kitchens took over uh, and why it was so exciting. Like Hugh Jackson was running a ton of 11 personnel in Baker's rookie year, like literally like 76% uh, 11 personnel and they were terrible out of it. Like they just, they just weren't doing well. So Freddie kitchens came in cause he was a running back and tight ends coach and he started running like a bunch of 12 and 13. Well, their efficiency went way up, like both in those packages and 11 personnel cause they were doing both. Uh, and then Freddie kitchens comes in in 2019 and everyone's expecting him like, Oh yeah, he's going to coach really well and everything. But he didn't. Instead, he ran 11 personnel 84% of the time. And uh, Warren Sharp thinks it was because of Todd Munkin. Like, Freddie Kitchens was always like a tight end running back guy. Todd Munkin is an air raid guy. Oh, so I remember Todd know, Munkin. He coached my team uh, two years yeah. ago, the offensive coordinator. Yeah. So even though Freddie Kitchens is, you know, more geared towards tight ends and was calling the plays early on, Munkin's influence for sure was the 11 personnel factor. So even though Baker Mayfield is, he's really terrible uh, out of 11 personnel, it's kind of been proven. If you look at the stats both years, like it, he's, he's pretty bad unless you're running a consistent play action and bringing in the big boys. Yeah. And I mean, who is their offensive coordinator right now? Because I know Stef that, that could be the same kind of situation is, is what you uh, lined up because Stefanski ran a lot of 12 personnel, but if their offensive coordinator is not from that system, then he might be the same thing. So that's a little yeah. concerning, but um, yeah, like, as you mentioned, I, I do think Stefanski's uh, going to call the plays on offense. And I think he's going to stick to his philosophy, which if you saw in Minnesota last year, they ran a lot of 12 personnel. And I think the personnel that they have on their team suits that, type of offense and them signing Austin Hooper kind of proves that as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to throw out. They, I mean, they got Austin Hooper. They also drafted Harrison Bryant in the fifth round, which when you already have a first round tight end and David Njoku and you pay big bucks to Hooper and draft another tight end, which a lot of people liked Harrison Bryant. Plus, 
you know, they added Conklin and Wills. Like, I feel like these guys, they're shaping up to go, like, 12 personnel, 13 personnel, like, a lot of tight ends. I thought you were going to say 12 and 4 when you said 12 uh, there. I thought you were going to oh. shout out how many wins they're going to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, their win projection is, like, 7.5. But you know what, dude? They're going 12 and 4. They're going to run all the way to victory. Uh, yeah. I don't know. They really could, though. I mean, the ultimate post-hype sleep, sleeper could be the Browns, even though uh, – I don't know. I don't really think it's going to happen, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a Baker <laughs> apologist. I loved Baker. He was my, like, I love Baker too. Quarterback I love him. coming out of that draft. He was my favorite guy. I thought he was the best one. Um, mm-hmm. Let's get back to the schedule part of it. Um, in the receiver yeah. episode, I, I said it's favorable for big plays. It is. So that definitely helps with guys like Odell Beckham and, and even uh, some of the tight ends that are capable of um, producing big plays and Baker averaged nearly 21 points per game in favorable matchups and eight points, like 06 yards per attempt, which is really good uh, compared to uh, 15 points per game uh, fantasy wise and 6.88 um, yards per attempt in bad matchups. So he definitely was better in good matchups. So on to the next guy. And this is, this is my dude. Um, Gardner Minshew. It's the next guy. And as I said, for DJ Chark's schedule, it's really freaking good. Um, basically th- this is one of the reasons that Gardner Minshew is a top 12 quarterback in my rankings right now, but Gardner Minshew has an excellent start to the season. He has an early bye week. I get it. But I mean, the explosive pass defense is, is fucking gorgeous. Also like coupled with Minshew's deep passing, which ranked third in the NFL last year, according to PFF on passes 20 yards downfield. And I believe it was Watson and Wilson who were ahead of him. So those are like two elite quarterbacks. It should make for an awesome combo for Minshew. This schedule is also favorable from uh, yards per attempt allowed, third down percentage, like literally every metric that a passing game could want is the Jags schedule this year. So like Minshew is just a screaming value to me. Every I take him in every draft in Superflex in reg, like one quarterback leagues. I take him over Wentz. I would take him over Goff. I would take him over Ben. I would take him over all these guys because his schedule is unreal. And just as a player, like you don't see many rookies come in. And if he wasn't a sixth round pick, he should have, like, he was better than Kyler Murray last year. Like, not a lot of people want to talk about this, but, like, in terms of, like, he only had six picks. He had 21 touchdowns. He had, like, he had, a, like, his rushing yardage output should have netted him a couple rushing touchdowns, which he didn't. So there's some positive regression from that perspective if he continues to run the ball. And he had nearly identical scoring against good and bad matchups. So it's kind of bad news for him having a good schedule, but it also means he's just a good quarterback. He doesn't get. Like uh, Daniel Jones, for example, who we'll talk about later, was like much better against uh, good matchups. Yeah, I. Uh, it's kind of like we talked about last week. I like Chark a lot. We like Minshew. Uh, just to kind of give a little bit of an extra take or a different take, just looking at their schedule was there is potential, I feel like, for them to have some low-scoring games kind of early on. Like Colts, Titans. I mean, Dolphins are a harder matchup than it seems. Yeah. Bengals, like, who knows? Um, so, and the Lions, like, I love their passing attack, but I feel like Matt Patricia loves to slow the game down, even with their really good potential passing attack. So, I, I just was looking at it. I was like, their schedule looks amazing, but there could be some low scoring games, which uh, I don't know. It was, it was a little concerning. That's just kind of to play devil's advocate. I just, cause I've already said, I like Minshew a lot. I love Chark. Uh, something kind of just noticeable, noticeable about Minshew was out of play action last year. The Jags called it third least in the league, but and he, he was, was like, like unreal in play. action. Yeah, too. By far the best quarterback out of play action. Like he had 11.2 yards per attempt and a 68% success rating 
uh, out of play action. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, so, I mean, if they have any sense kind of looking over the off season at their quarterback who they know for sure is going to start, like they traded Nick Foles, Gardner Minshew's their guy for at least this year. If they do any, like looking at their team, they should notice that dude, like on play action, especially if they hand the ball off to Leonard Fournette so much, like, of course the teams are going to yeah. get in the box and be looking for Leonard Fournette. Like, dude, throw it to DJ Charklong. Let's just do something different. Let's get Gardner Minshew thrown on play action. Yeah, hopefully Jay, Jay Gruden, I think, is a much better offensive coordinator than the ones they've had there previously. Way so better. Hopefully he realizes that. I, I don't have the splits in front of me of how much he used play action in Washington, but I, I feel like I heard stats a couple of years ago of people saying that like Kirk Cousins was so good on play action when he was in Washington. So probably had something mm -hmm. to do with it. Um, on to the next guy. And this is a guy, I think he's flying under the radar. For, for the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, no one's talking about Joe Burrow. I don't know why. Like, let me – his situation kind of rivals Daniel Jones's last year, in my opinion. Uh, Daniel Jones was a top eight quarterback when he from the time he took over as a starter in New York. He did this on a, a pace of 592 pass attempts, which is, like, a lot of pass attempts, obviously. And he had 279 rush yards and two touchdowns uh, in the 12 games that he played. So I, could, I think we could see a similar, um, if not better, numbers for Joe Burrow in his first year. I think the defense is still bad. Like, they – they added some good pieces to it, but it's probably going to take some time to adjust. It's probably not going to be like a great defense right away, but they were top five in, in percentage of pass plays in 2019 with Dalton and Finley combined for 616 attempts. Like they're going to throw the ball a lot. And, and Joe Burrow is, is as good of a college prospect as I've ever seen. And he can run and no one really talks about his legs, which is kind of weird because they bring it up for Herbert and not him. But I, I, what, are you, what are your thoughts on Burrow this year? Yeah, I, uh, I love Joe Burrow in general. Like last year, even in his, his year before last, so what, 2018, I would watch him sometimes on the field and he just had the moxie and the it factor. Like he'd make these big throws. It's like, wow, this dude could be good. And then he blew up obviously last year. So looking at the Bengals, like a lot of people have kind of talked shit on the AJ Green signing, but I actually like it. I like I talk shit on like, AJ Green, but he still helps Burrow. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, they've got their young quarterback, and they could have just been like, you know what, like, A.J. Green's aging. We're just going to let him walk. They're like, no, like, we want to give our young quarterback the best weaponry he can have to start his career off with success. I like that. I also like their wide receivers in general, so his weapons. And I think one of the biggest things that I feel like just still people don't talk about enough is Jonah Williams – their tackle that they drafted in the first round last year, he went down before even preseason started. So he's going to be back this year. Like that's a first round tackle that's going to be there for Joe they Burrow signed, on top uh, of their weapons. To a Filo from the uh, Cowboys too. Yep. He's not like the greatest guard in the world, but I can tell you based on PFF grades, at least he's a, a big upgrade over the guys that they have on the interior last year. Um, I can't remember what his name was. The guy that retired before the season started, John, um, fuck, his name's escaping me, but one of their main guards, their best guards that they had, retired before the season last year, and their replacement level guards were just awful. Like their PFF grades were like thirty five, like four, like they were terrible. So Xavier uh, Suafilo, who's like a like a sixty PFF grade around his career, so he's not like a great guard, but he's definitely an upgrade over what they had. Yeah, they got him for cheap too. It's like yeah. three million a year. Uh, something just noting on their schedule as well that I saw today that I really liked is uh, they're projected to face the fastest pace of schedule. So, like, pace of play, I mean, in their schedule. They were of so, high pace themselves, too. Yes. And so, if they're facing the number one pace, like, dude, that's huge. That's something to note as far as, especially with fantasy. It applies to what we're looking at even more than anything else. So, 
Yeah, man. I, uh, I, I think everything points towards Joe Burrow having a really good shot at an awesome rookie year. Yeah, and the guy I compared Joe Burrow to, if you, if you, uh, if you want to go hit the link below where it says get the draft guide, in the draft guide, I wrote up Joe Burrow. It's only $5. It's well worth your money. I promise you that. In that guide, my comparison for Joe Burrow was Deshaun Watson. And we saw what Deshaun Watson did his rookie year. I would not be shocked if, if Joe Burrow came out in his rookie year and was that good. I, I think he has the potential to be that good. And like I said, like the, the overall situation, the, the volume is there. Like they threw the ball like third most in the league last year. Like the volume is there for him to just be good. And talking about their schedule, I mean, like, like the Browns, their only real hard matchups are the AFC North, the two AFC North teams in uh, the Steelers and Ravens. And again, like I said, they're, they're divisional matchups. They're usually on more unpredictable than out of division matchups. And aside from that, their schedule is pretty favorable across the board through all 17 weeks. So I, I definitely could see Joe Burrow, especially at the beginning of the season, getting out to a hot start and the, the weapons in Cincinnati just kind of carrying him to uh, to a great start to his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I really do. Yeah. And some honorable mentions that have some good schedules, but they're not necessarily at the beginning of the season. They're kind of hit or miss throughout the beginning of the season is uh, Big Ben has a great schedule, as we mentioned with the uh, Steelers receivers on the receiver episode. Phillip Rivers, also we mentioned with the Colts receivers on the, on the receiver episode. Phillip Rivers has a good schedule. He might be a decent streamer to start the season. And uh, Lamar Jackson's like rushing and passing schedule is unreal. So, I mean, Lamar's my QB1. I don't know if he's everyone else's, but he's mine. Um, so getting into the worst schedules, and I teased this on uh, the receiver episode when I talked about the Giants receivers, but Daniel Jones' first four games are brutal. Steelers, the Bears, the Niners, and the Rams. If nothing else, these guys have unreal pass rushes, and the Giants offensive line has a rookie starting at whatever tackle spot it is, and the other one's Nate Solder. So um, I, I don't think the, the Giants offense is going to get off to too hot of a start, unfortunately, for people who have the second overall pick. That probably applies to Saquon Barkley as well. Um, it's just gross. It's, he's a popular breakout candidate for Daniel Jones, uh, for me, among others in the industry, but his weekly ceiling is incredible. That's why I like him. He, he showed multi, like huge upside on a weekly basis last year as a rookie. And the late round quarterback strategy is all about opening schedules. So if you intend on streaming the quarterback position week over week, or just drafting two guys and kind of alternating them, DJ is probably on your do not draft list because you're probably not going to be able to use them for the first couple weeks of the season. And if you are able to use him, you're probably going to want to pair him with someone like Minshew or like Bur- uh, Joe Burrow, who you can get later. And it's, it's actually even worse of a schedule against explosive pass defenses. So, I mean, it's just not looking good to start the season for Daniel Jones. He'll probably be on your waiver wire week five after this uh, stretch. And that's when I would recommend going to get him because I think, and uh, as I mentioned previously, he performed nearly seven PPR points per game better against bottom 12 defenses. So it really matters for him. And I expect him to get out to a very slow start to start the season. Yeah, a lot of times with these schedules, I can find some upside looking at maybe they have a high scoring game coming up, or I can look at, you know, maybe some downsides on the easier schedules with low scoring games. But in this situation, it's like the double whammy. Um, Not only does it seem like he's going to face really bad, you know, I mean, really great defenses, they also seem like really low scoring game potential. Uh, you know, the rushing like offenses the net- of these teams are pr- probably going to be pretty decent as well. If not, if not good, they're going to want to run the ball at least. That's what I mean. I mean, they're going to want to hold onto the ball when they get it. Also, their defense is good, so it's going to slow down the pace. Like, there's not going to be as much passing for Daniel Jones on top of facing, you know, rough passing defenses. So I just I look at the schedule and it. it I 
I'm out on Daniel Jones at this point. Like I just, I cannot draft him. And I very rarely say that just about a schedule in general. It just, it, it doesn't look good. We're going to talk. It's it's brutal. Yeah. Later we're going to talk about a player that I think I pinpointed on the giants as someone to target just based on his schedule. Like maybe he could be Daniel Jones guy. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess the, the positive for the giants is I do like that. They drafted Andrew Thomas, just drafting a tackle for your young quarterback, your young running back. Obviously we, they all need that, you know, like a franchise guy, but their line is still going to be a huge question mark. Uh, and Dave Gettleman's the GM, but anytime Dave Gettleman's anywhere, I just don't like it. I hate Jason Garrett and I don't know why they would hire Jason Garrett as like, as anything, like what has he proven to get another job? I don't know. I just, I think it's his offense too, because Joe judge strikes me as like, and you can see this based on his track record. Joe judge is more the motivator. Like you'll run through a wall for him kind of coach. He's not necessarily the schemer. So I, I expect Jason Garrett to basically run the offense which is probably good news for Saquon Barkley in terms of a workload. But, uh, yeah, for the rest of the guys, it's not probably great news, especially the receivers. Um, Anything else on on DJ or you want to move on to the next guy? Uh, Yeah, we can move on to the next guy. All right, so this is a guy you're probably not drafting too highly anyway, but this probably definitely, for me at least, puts him on my do not draft list, especially in a super flex if you're looking for a second or third quarterback late. Uh, And it's Derek Carr. I'll put his schedule up on the screen right now. the, the week one matchup in Carolina doesn't scare me. They're, they lost James Radbury and, and Luke Keekley, so their defense can be terrible. But uh, as we mentioned, for the pass catchers in, in Oakland – or in Las Vegas, sorry – it doesn't look good for Carr either. Aside from the week one tilt against the Panthers, it's, the schedule is just not great, and it's not good for explosive passes either, which is bad news for uh, Tyrell Williams and Henry Ruggs and uh, some of their other options that they have there, Lynn Bowden. Um, Carr's traditionally been a great streaming option. Actually, if you look at his, uh, points per game against good matchups, he's averaged 21 points per game over his entire career against good matchups. So he's been a reliable streamer when you know, he's going to be in a smash spot, you're able to play him, but he's really disappointed in games against bad matchups. And that's basically because he's kind of like an average quarterback. He might be like the, the diameter between if you're a franchise quarterback or not, if you're worse or better than Derek Carr. So um, yeah, overall, I just, I don't think Derek Carr is like an option that you're going to be wanting to start. Uh, I think he might be a great guy to pick up in week eight. Once you get to, to bye weeks and his schedule kind of eases up a little bit. Yeah. As I was kind of looking at Derek Carr, I think for me, it's just going to come down to cost as far as if I'm willing to take him. I mean, I know that's such a generic answer, but I actually might be more willing to take him than you are. I was looking just a lot of, you know, Derek Carr gets a shitty rep for his A dot, you know, 6.6. He's like king of the check down. Uh, And I will say like, he's been that kind of his whole career, but I'm hoping with the personnel that they bring in potentially, I know Ruggs isn't just a deep threat, but then maybe they're willing to push the ball a little bit more with both Waller and Ruggs, Brian Edwards, really all of these guys. Cause I was looking at last year. I mean, they were fourth in the league in success rate as far as passing goes, and they were sixth in yards per passing play. So even with that a dot, there is still some upside, you know, if he decides that he wants to unleash a little bit, like maybe Mariota, lights a fire under his ass and maybe even with their schedule I was looking it's like it's tough but there's a lot of potential for high scoring game like obviously we've we've talked about the Panthers ad nauseum like that's not the one we're worried about like Saints they have a good defense but it could be a high scoring game they play the Chiefs twice like those could be very high scoring games uh the Buccaneers that to be Josh Jacobs games though that's the only thing with me 
I don't know though, because the thing is, dude, the Chiefs are gonna probably blow. They're gonna they're gonna get a lead. Yeah, yeah. That's and true. you can't just hand it to Josh Jacobs when the Chiefs are up. They you know, actually so, did, though, last year. If you look back at their splits yeah. when they were trailing, they still just handed it to Josh Jacobs when they were losing. Not not against how the Chiefs are going to play. I don't see that. I, like, maybe maybe they just – if they're down 21, they're going to keep running the ball, but I don't I don't see it happening. You know, I think there's a lot of potential for upside uh, twice against the Chiefs, even with the Buccaneers' good defense. Like, that could be a high-scoring game. Browns, uh, they might be running the ball a lot. We'll see. But the Broncos are another one. So, I, I don't know, man. I, I think there could be some high-scoring games here. Yeah, and I don't hate Derek Carr's outlook in terms of his, like, weapons and stuff. It's just he's someone that's kind of like a fringe draftable quarterback as it is. And then having a bad schedule, it's just, like, uh, it's just not ideal. I, I don't really want to play him unless he's, like, my third quarterback in a super flex league or whatever. Because I, I don't think you're going to want to, like, start him as, like, a, in a one-quarterback league. You're probably not going to want to be rolling with him. You're probably going to be in trouble in that case. Um, so the next guy we have up on the list is someone who's definitely going higher than Derek Carr, and that's Drew Brees. Uh, six of his first ten matchups, as you'll see on the screen right now, aren't ideal. Plus, he has an early bye week. So, I mean, and Brees is a huge name in fantasy. This is You're not getting a discount on Drew Brees. I like his outlook this year. He was really good when he was on the field last year. But this schedule is a little concerning, knowing that you're going to have to pick him, like, probably in the top – 12 quarterbacks top eight I would say in like a home league where people aren't as sharp and they'll just pick a, a big name uh but he he's likely gonna have a down stretch probably towards mid-season here as you see like the the difficult matchups that he has against the Bears the Bucks and the Niners um what are your thoughts on Breeze I, I like his outlook but he, he's just a big name and that's that's I always get scared of big names because I know they go higher than you anticipate them to go yeah, he's just not the type of quarterback I draft in redraft leagues. In Dynasty, I have a lot of Drew Brees, but in redraft, I end up with the guys like Derek Carr and Joe Burrow and, you know, just pe people like that. I, I, I don't ever go in on Drew Brees or Patrick Mahomes or, you know, I just – it's it's not my thing. I, I mean, I look at the schedule. I think Drew Brees really overcomes any schedule. I, I, I kind of – I tend to agree with you. But, he actually threw more yeah. touchdowns than matchups, so – I don't think it affects him nearly as much as it would affect someone like Gardner Minshew, who's like a young quarterback or something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, like overall, it's just it's not ideal, and it's it is someone that you're going to have to pay up for because he's not going in the 14th round like someone like Derek Carr would be. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm just probably not going to end up with any Drew Brees. But I wasn't. If he had a good schedule, I really wouldn't either. It's more just a bummer looking at my dynasty teams, you know, potentially. But like you said, Drew Brees had literally one of the best years of his career last year. You know, so he is not. He's he's just as good as ever. I mean, he did turn 41 now, so maybe another year down, another. But I, I don't know, man. I I think he's going to play great. He's just too expensive. For sure. And a couple honorable mentions. I mean, the Dolphins have a horrible pass uh, defense schedule. I mentioned that on Devontae Parker, but I don't really think anyone's going to be drafting Ryan Fitzpatrick, so just probably don't stream him for the first couple weeks. Um, uh, the Falcons actually don't have the greatest uh, opening schedule either, so Matt Ryan, little kind of in the same vein as Drew Brees. He could probably overcome it with volume and stuff, but a little concerning for someone you're going to have to pay up for. Um, Sam Darnold, Deshaun Watson, and Kyler Murray, a couple other guys that don't have the greatest opening schedules either. Um, on to the tight end position. I'll put this up on the screen right now. This is a chart actually from Pro Football Focus that charts the um, defenses that were best against tight ends last year. And, of course, some of this information changed, but it's, it's actually really hard to find um, good data on tight end matchups. So uh, looking at this schedule at the top, uh, on the top left corner, you can see the teams that were um, – 
that have the best, most favorable opening schedule next year uh, against the tight end position. So at the top of the list is, is New York Giants. And as you mentioned, you teased previously, Evan Ingram's got a great opening schedule. Nine top 10 matchups across the entire season, and he has six in the first 10 weeks of the season. So, I mean, Ingram, when he's on the field, is good. That's Evan Ingram's rule. He's basically Jordan Reed now, because when Jordan Reed was on the field, he was good, but that's become Evan Ingram. Yeah, and we've talked about the Giants a lot for them having bad schedules. You know, Saquon, Daniel Jones, really just everybody. So seeing the one position that has potential for a good schedule is something I always like to just kind of like put away, file away. Like, all right, at the very least, if I'm not drafting him in redraft, I'm going to play him in DFS because they're going to probably go to him a lot. Like they have a lot of money to look at the team they're facing, you know, and even with Jason Garrett kind of being an idiot, me talking shit, like these guys are going to know that these teams aren't as good at facing the tight end as they are at wide receiver, or at least going to kind of know that. The one thing of note too, is like last year, Evan Ingram was really inefficient in comparison to his career. Like him and Daniel Jones could not get on the same page. He had like a 6.1 yard a dot, which before Evan Ingram was getting down the field, you know, splitting the seam, being very efficient. He was always really good. So I'm going to kind of chalk it up to maybe last year being some growing pains with Daniel Jones. And I, I actually really like Evan Ingram already this year. Uh, so I, I, I also like to see that he could be the one shining star for the Giants. Yeah, Evan Ingram is someone I just never draft. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I, I usually just kind of skip the middle class of tight ends altogether and just wait on guys once I get outside the like Kittles and Kelsey's. So I don't find myself ending up with Evan Ingram a lot because I don't really see too much of a difference between him and John Smith or Hayden Hurst. So I usually go after guys like that instead. Me too. But um, Evan Ingram uh, oddly got eight targets per game in bad matchups against like good pass defenses. So there might be some validity to what you said. They might kind of funnel the passing game through Evan Ingram because he only got five and a half targets in good matchups, which likely means that, I mean, Slayton and, and Golden Tate and, Sterling Shepard, all these guys were better in the good matchups, so they kind of went that way. So I guess when they played good pass defenses, it was an Evan Ingram smash, as you said. So the next guy on the list is uh, actually not the – no, he's not the next guy. Oh, no, he is. Okay, Baltimore tight ends, and everyone knows that's Mark Andrews, who's the tight end to own there. And, I mean, he's a smash to start the season. He, has, he doesn't have a bad matchup until week seven. So he, he's going to be off to a hot start this season. He averaged 19 PPR points per game in good matchups last year compared to eight in bad matchups. So, I mean, a lot of that was due to touchdowns. He averaged a touchdown per game in the uh, good matchups. But, I mean, that's a big split. It's a really big split for someone. And as I mentioned for Lamar, like, they just have a good schedule in general, running, passing. I just expect them to hang a lot of points on people. And anytime that's going to happen, you just want pieces of that. Yeah, the good schedule is just really nice icing on the cake for Mark Andrews. Like for me, if I'm taking a tight end, I'm going to go either with one of the good guys that's in the top three, Kittle, Kelsey, Andrews, or like you just said, I'm dropping down into that Janu, Blake Jarwin, like those kind of guys. That's those are the tight ends I take. So it's good to see Mark Andrews has a good schedule. I mean, last year, the Ravens targeted the tight end at 41% of the time which was by far the highest in the league. Like think about targeting the tight end on 41% of your passes. That seems they're so far ahead of the rest of the league as far as thinking about like what is actually efficient, legit. Like they run play action, they huge, huge packages, they throw to the tight end. Like, dude, 
I don't know. The Ravens are going to be really hard to beat and catch up with just because their their coach, he thinks forward. Their GM, he crushes. Like I, I really, really love the Ravens, and I, I love Mark Andrews. I rarely, di- I rarely agree with Colin Cowherd, but he said that this might be the first team in NFL history that I could legitimately see winning 16 games. Like, like go 16 and 0. He's like, I've never predicted someone to win that many games, but he's like, I think their floor is 13 wins. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's basically how I feel about them too. I when, when that happens, usually they're gonna like bottom out and win like eight games or something and disappoint everyone. I don't see that happening with the Ravens. Their scheme is just so good. Like I know coaches like def- defensive coordinators aren't stupid. They they're gonna catch up to the scheme, but I mean it's hard to catch up to Lamar Jackson. So um, honorable mentions uh, wise on the tight end position on the chart, you can uh, I'll put it back up on the screen again so you can see everyone that's on there. But uh, Zach Ertz actually, if you look at the beginning of his season, is really good. Blake Jarwin, you mentioned he has a good opening schedule as well. Eric Ebron's got a decent opening schedule in Pittsburgh. George Kittle, icing on the cake for him. Uh, and another a sleeper tight end of mine, we've talked about the Bengals offense already. CJ Uzama, low-key has been good when Tyler Eifert hasn't been in the lineup. And he actually has quite a good schedule as well. So um, not bad from that front. Uh, into the bad, uh, this, little, this one hurts a little bit. Hayden Hurst has quite a bad schedule. As you see, he's dead last on here. Uh, he's one of my guys this year. He, he has a bad schedule from a pass efficiency defense perspective on sharp football stats as well. So just not great all around. Four of his six uh, opening matchups are against top 12 defenses defending the tight end. I, I, I don't think it really matters for Hayden Hurst that much because I, I think the efficiency is going to suffer a little bit. But the volume is still so good in this offense. The Falcons are going to throw the ball like crazy. That's who Dirk Cutter is. That's who Matt Ryan is. That's who their entire organization is. So I think the volume is still going to be there early on in the season, but the efficiency might suffer for Hurst early on. Yeah, when you got Julio and Ridley on the outside running routes, taking the safeties away and the defense is focusing on them, and Matt Ryan, who's a great passer, throwing the ball, it's hard to not succeed as a tight end. I am more out just in general on Hurst than most people are just because I like the other breakout tight end potential guys more. Uh, I mean, Hurst, his price is slowly it's creeping getting, up. It's getting expensive. Early on in the yeah. offseason, he was like a 10th-round pick. You're not getting him past the 8th round anymore. Like, he's, no. going, he's going like tight end like 7 or 8 off the board. Yeah, and I could see that even going up a little higher. Like, the hype on him is getting kind of out of control because everyone agrees it's a great situation. And I agree it's a great situation. But – I don't know, man. We, he, we haven't really seen it from the guy. So just to be like, all right. A little well, yeah, O.J. Howard the situation the way we're projecting it it's concerning so I don't know I I think I'm probably out on Hurst the the bad schedule is another thing I mean of note the the Falcons were one of the best teams last year at throwing to the tight end Um, but I think they're just one of the best teams at throwing to everybody so that's uh, a dirt cutter classic he's always good at throwing to the tight end yeah exactly so I mean I, I don't know take it for what you will I don't I don't blame anyone for taking Hayden Hurst but I do think the down schedule on top of the fact that, I mean, we just don't know and his price is getting high, it's concerning. Yep. And uh, a guy, I was, I was so right about this guy last year, and I'm so proud of myself for predicting this mm-hmm. one, Darren Waller. Darren Waller was on every team that I was in. Like, I owned him everywhere. Me too. Because mm-hmm. when – and pay, make sure you guys pay attention to this uh, with training camp starting. When a team won't shut up about a player, like, that's, that means something. It's not like – it's not just them going, oh, yeah, we really like Darren Waller. He's doing well in camp. Like, no, they actually talked about Darren Waller, like, every single day last year. And when that happens, you just – got to pay attention. It, it's something that you're constantly hearing 
like news from everywhere. And Roto World is a great website for this because they, they publish news like all the time. Um, make sure you're paying attention when you see the same themes and the same patterns over and over again from the same team, because that's usually when you can spot a breakout player. And the, the, that was the case with Darren Waller last year. But I mean, the theme for the Raiders schedule is hashtag bad. It's, it's bad for everyone. It's bad for Carr. It's bad for the receivers. It's bad for Waller. There's no smash matchups, uh, meaning matchups that are in green until week eight. And he has an early buy. So it's concerning for Waller. I, I think his schedule is easier than the receivers on his team. So he should be the, and I still think just in general, he's the primary target in the offense. But I mean, he actually received more volume in tougher matchups. So this could be a good news from a volume perspective, as I mentioned. But again, like Hurst, I think his efficiency is going to suffer because he probably is going to see some uh, some tougher matchups in man coverage or the way that they scheme him up. And everyone knows about him now too. He's not like uh, surprising anyone like he did last year. So they're going to know he's the guy in the passing game this year. Yeah, I play in only really deep dynasty leagues, like 30 guys on a roster, usually Debbie as well. And I have him in every league because he was still on those really deep dynasty league waiver wires. I picked him wow. up on all of them, dude. So now I've got Waller everywhere because I thought last year it was very clear this guy was going to break out. And the thing is about Darren Waller is a lot of people are down on it. Like I still am holding him in dynasty because everybody's like, Oh, this year he's going to have a huge collapse and blah, blah, blah. That makes no it's sense too. Look. Cause no one likes Henry Ruggs and everyone's off Waller because of Henry Ruggs. Like it doesn't make any well, sense to me. If you don't like Ruggs, you should really like Waller. Well, also he got 117 targets as a tight end. And with those targets, he was by far like the most efficient. He was so efficient like 68% success rate on the majority of it, like uh, on the majority of his packages. Like that is unreal. So yeah. he was really good, really, really good. And yes, like usually you fade previous year's efficiency. Like it's hard to stay efficient year over year, but with that volume, even with a slight regression efficiency wise, like he still will, he'll crush. So mm -hmm. I don't know, man, I it's, it's concerning. And there's gotta be someone though. Like he's like the guy, Josh he's Jacob. the guy in the offense that you still want to target though, because yes. I think, I love rugs, but like this, this off season is different than any other one that we've seen and rookies are going to suffer from it. It's all, all rookies, running backs, receivers, quarterbacks. I think it's just going to happen. So, I mean, I'm going to find myself drafting a lot less rookies than I usually do because I do think rookies are a great way to find value in terms of like people being down, especially on receivers because people don't want to draft rookie receivers, even though they can be good after like a couple weeks. Um, but either way, yeah, Waller is going to be, I think no matter what, like you saw with Jared Cook the year before too, like they like featuring tight ends in this offense, whether it's Derek Carr, whether it's John Gruden, whatever it is, they like using their tight ends and they have a really good one and they just paid him. So I don't think they're going to suddenly not throw him the ball because they drafted Rubs and Brian Edwards. Agreed. Cool. All right. So if, if you guys enjoyed, make sure you, as I mentioned previously, like the video, comment down below, subscribe, hit the notification bell. We post videos nearly every day, just Sundays because you know, that's how Sundays work. Um, make sure you guys also check out the draft guide. If you haven't done so, it's $5. It's well worth your money. There's a lot of information, rankings, sleepers, bus, team previews, uh, data analysis, uh, best resources to use, all that stuff's packed into there. And uh, make sure you guys join the Discord as well. We're, we're trying to definitely build that community up a little bit more than it's currently at. And uh, with that uh, being said, guys, uh, take it easy and enjoy your Monday.